Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to um, our, our live stream with our esteemed guest, Peter Merrill, where we're going to be talking about leadership as a service. And uh, along with me from Agile Meridian is uh, Mike Jeber. And the two of us are going to uh, uh, hopefully share perspectives on what leadership as a service is and, and what DRIs are, direct, uh, directly responsible individuals, and how you can use these patterns to uh, really, um, um, I, I wouldn't, I don't know about eliminate bureaucracy, but certainly uh, lessen its impact. And so uh, without further ado, uh, Peter, uh, maybe a, a quick introduction. Uh, uh, tell us uh, who you are and, and um, uh, a little bit about um, Xscale and, and your, your journey. Okay. Um, thanks for having me, Kamai. It's very kind. Uh, so I've been involved with Agile since before it was called Agile. I had a credit in the first XP book and uh, I ran the first Agile game at the very first Agile conference, XP 2000. Um, and uh, I, I, but for me, I mean, I was never particularly interested in being an Agile anything. Uh, I, I was interested in using the stuff. Uh, I was a software developer architect for about three decades, a bit more. And then um, about 10 years ago, people started paying me more to coach than to deliver things. <laughs> so I, they took me away from a keyboard and wouldn't let me get back there. Um, so I did that for about a decade. And then um, uh, you get to a certain point where you've got enough gray hair that you, you basically have a choice to either age out altogether or, or start sharing what you've learned. So Xscale uh, became a vehicle for sharing what I've learned. And uh, I, I'm delighted that we've got uh, close to 200 senior Agilists worldwide involved in the Xscale Alliance now. Um, and uh, you guys being esteemed members of SAME, uh, so basically what this stuff's about is uh, agile above the level of a team, but not about scaling, not about uh, frameworks. It's, it's not about how do we sell certificates. It's around how do we generate business throughput? How do we adapt to changing market conditions? Uh, so when people talk about business agility, uh, this has become the buzzword of uh, the year. Um, and there's a whole bunch of theories. But when you come down to it, it's very simple. It, it's, it's about adaptation the same way that the agile team level is about adaptation to, to change. Um, but to do that, you need to get learning to flow through the organization. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today is critical elements to make that happen. And they're very simple, just the same way as just about everything in Agile is very simple. At the same time, they are missing from just about every organization. So it's important stuff, even though it's simple. Uh, and the, the figure I always bang on about to illustrate that is the number from the State of Agile survey for the last five years about, um, uh, they asked the question, does Agile help your organization respond to change? 95% of respondents, this is the largest, the longest running Agile survey in the world, 95% have said, no, it doesn't. So the stuff we're talking about right now is critically important if we're going to be able to get um, 
the organizations we work with, never mind agile, to be able to succeed and to grow in the VUCA world that we certainly occupy in 2021. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Peter. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, you want a, a just quick introduction? Uh, yeah, Mike Jebber. Um, I'm a, a partner here at Agile Meridian. I've uh, had the uh, esteemed uh, opportunity to work with Kumar now for, for several years now. Uh, and uh, our other partner, Jolly, who couldn't make it tonight. Uh, I've known him for about six or seven years now. Uh, really happy to be here. Uh, and, and Pete, it's uh, it's so refreshing. I, I love I love your perspective on all of this because that idea. And I'd love to hear more about your thoughts around how do you, how do you build that environment? Right, environments help promote these things. They promote what the outcomes are, um, and they're either they're either uh, they're either uh, adding to or, or promoting and moving things forward, or they're restricting other things. Right, and this this concept I've been working in for the last several years about really helping people kind of think about environment. Uh, the, the talent and the environment that the talent is in uh, and being the, the tenders of the soil, not the corn in the seeds themselves. Right. So mm -hmm. I'm a Midwesterner. So we talk a lot about corn here, <laughs> but uh, that, that is it, it, your and your 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 approach and your mindset to this is so 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 seems like it's so wrapped around that whole concept. Um, it really, really interests me to know more about your thoughts on and your experiences on how you've been able to help those realize those environmental changes and adapt, create that adaptable environment so that continuous learning and, and those other types of talent things can really move forward. Yeah, that's that's good. And, and I'm uh, Kumar Danatrayan, uh, one of the founders at Agile Meridian. Uh, I'm also an X-Scale uh, steward. Uh, and all that really means is that I, I, I had the opportunity to, to learn from Peter, uh, the master here, <laughs> uh, who has brought so much, really so much clarity and, and um, um, I think an evolution of, of the application of agile ways of working and thinking at the, to the organization, right? So how do you really, um, how do you really sort of impact business agility or organizational agility? Uh, and a lot of the patterns and the, um, uh, the uh, uh, I, I guess just the patterns within X scale allow you to do that and allow you to create that environment where learning can flow. Uh, and, and to me, I think that's the most important thing is to allow learning to flow because that's what I see. And, and, you know, the state of the agile survey that talks about 90% percent, 5% of uh, organizations that don't see the benefit of agile. It's because there's still sort of silos of, uh, of walls. I, I, that, that limits the flow of learning and knowledge um, between them. And I, and I think that's the, the biggest bottleneck to, um, uh, to business agility. Um, so uh, to the topic of this conversation, it's about uh, a couple of patterns. Uh, they're sort of intertwined together, leadership as a service and directly responsible individuals. So Peter, what is leadership as a service and why should I care? So um, leadership as a service is a really simple way for um, teams to make decisions together uh, without one person dominating uh, any of the particular decisions. Uh, it, it basically balances the, to use the Star Trek 
quote, it balances the needs of the many against the needs of the few or the one. Uh, it's not okay to say that, well, just because someone is bringing some expertise to a team, that they get to make all of the decisions about what their area of expertise. We are all generalists. We are all team members. We have to be able to share the decision-making. At the same time, it's also not okay to say, well, then the majority rules, we'll just vote on everything. Because then committee thinks sets in. Uh, the old Heinlein quote about a, a committee is a form of life with six or more legs and no brain. Uh, when all the decisions are compromises and, and, and politics rules, well, that's not going to help either. So uh, we need some way to be able to, to strike this balance. So the patterns that are involved, DRIs, directly responsible individuals, is one of the patterns in leadership as a service. So from at least from my point of view, it's not um, two separate pattern languages. But um, the reason that we talk about patterns in general, everyone's got theories about how things should work. But what we're really interested in is what's actually worked. We want we want proof. We want we want to understand where people have demonstrated benefit in many different places, and things are reliable. And so that that's this uh, Chris Alexander idea of a pattern is a a, a well proven uh, solution to a commonplace problem in a specific context. Mm -hmm. So there's no rocket science about it. Just calling it a, a pattern doesn't make it into magic. Nevertheless, uh, the patterns we're talking about, directly responsible individuals, mission command, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later, um, balance of powers and decide the decider. So directly responsible individuals is very simple. Uh, it, it, it started, uh, as far as I know, it started at Apple and at Jobs. Uh, uh, Jobs didn't want anyone in a meeting who wasn't, who didn't actually have a, a stake in the outcome of the meeting. So his rule was that every meeting had to have an agenda. Every agenda item had to have a single individual who was going to carry responsibility for executing whatever decisions were made about that item. Um, a, a directly responsible individual, a DRI. Um, and no one was allowed to be at the meeting unless they were a DRI for an agenda item. So that way you generally have smaller meetings. And we'll talk about descaling metrics maybe a, a bit later. Um, but so far, um, it doesn't sound like anything that would scare anyone. Where it got a little bit scary at Apple was that Jobs was quite fanatical about throwing anyone out of a meeting if they weren't a DRI. And, and a lot, it didn't matter where you were in the organization and what you thought your reason was for being there. And it put quite a lot of people's noses out of joint. And I don't think he was afraid of putting people's noses out of joint. Um, the, the next pattern, so, so far, it's simple. I mean, there's nothing to it, really. It just sounds like common sense. Uh, the, the next pattern is where uh, leadership as a service uh, starts to become um, a way of making decisions. So I think we've all had the experience when, uh, when we're playing planning poker, if, if you've done any of that as part of uh, your estimation work in an agile team, 
where you get to some item where the team just can't make up its mind. Like three people think it's a three and 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 uh, two people say it's a 13 and there are a couple of people who just sort of flip-flop and, and it doesn't matter how many rounds you do, you're just not getting there uh, as, a, uh, as a scrum master or as an iteration manager, whatever you call yourself or as a coach. Um, and so there are two stupid things you can do about that. And one stupid thing you can do is to say, well, it's just average. Well, you, then you're going to get a bad estimate. Doesn't matter what it is. I'm not knocking no estimates, um, but I'm just giving an example of where this protocol is used, the balance of powers protocol. So, so that's a stupid thing. Another stupid thing you can do is you can say, well, let's just vote on it. Majority rules. Uh, there's, there's more people who say it's a three than say it's a thirteen. So it's a three. No, it's not. You're not taking everybody's concerns into account. So um, what typically happens is after a little bit of hair pulling, uh, the scrum master or coach or whoever will say, well, I'll tell you what, this is mainly uh, a, a, an item that's about database. So Jill's our database architect. Jill, you tell me, how much is this? Um, and, and then you get an estimate that at least is reasonably well informed, even if Jill hasn't necessarily taken everybody else, you know, everybody else's ideas into account. So. The idea with balance of powers is to say, okay, that's pretty good. But if everybody else on the team disagreed with Jill, and if they were unanimous, let's say Jill is certain it's a three, everybody else says it's a 13, then everybody else wins. That's basically it. So that means Jill has got to influence at least one person in the meeting to disagree with the others, even if they don't agree with her. So she can get one person to say, well, maybe it's an eight, and everybody else, it's a, it's a 13. Um, then Jill has to make the decision. Mm -hmm. So this, this way, everybody has to lead by influence. And this is not just a pattern that you use when you're estimating in a, a delivery team. This is a pattern we can use with boards, with C-suites, with PMOs, any decision. If we have DRIs and there's one person who is responsible for executing that decision, they really care about the decision that gets made. Mm. Otherwise, you know, everyone can go, oh, we don't really, yeah, somebody else will do that. No, if one person knows they're on the hook, then they're going to be passionate about it. And then the fact that everybody else is going to have to live with what they're going to do in execution means that you've got a conversation that will happen. So far, so good? Yeah, I just, yeah, uh, just uh, wanted to uh, insert uh, a comment. Or yeah, please. Um, <clears throat> In our experience, Mike and I, we both are serving a, a client, uh, the same client currently, and we have uh, we've tried to implement DRIs and leadership as a service uh, to varying degrees of success. And um, I don't know, Mike, if you want to sort of talk about that in a minute, um, but I wanted to bring a different client. So I, I introduced leadership as a service DRIs to another organization, and. <laughs> Um, this organization rejected it. Uh, leaders didn't want to give up control of the decision-making authority to yeah. DRIs. Like, oh, no, we, we can't do that. Um, uh, that would, uh, what, what do you mean? you mean? You mean we have to, if, if this person is the DRI and, and there isn't unanimous dissent on the decision, then the decision is theirs? No way, we can't do that. Um, uh, and, and before Mike gets into the example of where we think it's sort of working, what is your response to that, Pete? Oh, I think that's a very valid concern. Uh, there are many cultures 
where the manager has to have the final say. I mean, if you think about it, it's, it sounds a bit odd when you take the word manager out of it and you just say, well, uh, the way we're going to make our decisions is there's one person in this room who's going to make all the decisions and the rest of us are just going to try and influence that one person. That, that sounds really weird. But when you say, well, then that's the manager, you go, well, of course, they've got the power. They, we have to respect the office. So cultures where you have to respect the office, a good way to use this stuff is to say, okay, um, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take power out of the room while we're coming up with advice for the manager. But the manager still got the final say. They've got the, 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 the ability to overrule or reject or ignore mm. the advice. Of course they do. But the, the nice thing about this is that then you don't have political forces dominating, getting the manager's ear. Um, mm. And, you know, there are, there are many cultures. Uh, Singapore is a good example. Where, where hierarchy dominates from Lee Kuan Yew on down to the boss of the local street sweepers team. Um, and that's just the way things are. And if you try and challenge that, you're not going to get very far. But the, 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 at the same time, when you're talking about communication between peers below the level of a particular boss, you can still do this. I think it's interesting too is finding finding where you can get some acceptance in, in, in uh, your your description earlier around the idea of what a pattern is and it's it's proof it's evidence of 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 something happening in a specific situation contextually and I think it was interesting uh, Kumar and I experienced this at the client one of the clients we're at now together where we had some folks that came in they had a, a really daunting task in front of them very large project, all these different elements had to come together to make this new thing happen. And, and their industry was severely impacted. Uh, in fact, their entire delivery model was completely shut down because of COVID, because everything they did in their business was on site with people yeah. live. And they didn't have that modality anymore. In fact, they'd been arguing for what, five to 10 years, different proponents inside the organization saying, we should do this, this would be great. And others going, no, it's not possible. We can't do it. They did, they, they overcame that hurdle in two months because they had to. And what they realized was, wow, we, we can look at things differently. And, and Kumar and I came in shortly after when they had this large project going, when these folks came together, they were not used to gathering together in, for, a, for a large initiative with all of these different mindsets. And they were all leaders in their own right, in their own spaces, in a highly, highly siloed and segregated kind of delivery stream that really handed things off in the old traditional ways, right? So when they when they saw the DRIs, I think they were a little bit like this, but they'd just gone through that experience of, we just did something we've been arguing that we couldn't, could or couldn't or should or shouldn't do for years and we did it. So let's kind of have an open mind. And it's interesting to me, I wonder what it would have been like and how it would have been received pre-COVID. But when we got there, they started using it and they just launched uh, on time their new their new product, which is a completely uh, remote version of what they used to do online for one of their more critical products. Um, and so far it's going well. And they did play catch up to do it because they were struggling to get together because of the COVID kind of knockdown that happened. Um, and while it wasn't, I don't think, executed in the purest form in the beginning, you saw the spirit of it start to build over time. And I think they kind of melded their own their own way of doing it. They still had the, you know, they had the they had the leader and they had the uh, um, the the person managing the 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 actual, 
you know, the senior stakeholder, and then they had the person managing the DRIs, but they really did get into the spirit of it. And um, unfortunately, I had to leave that project to move to another one, but I just got notification that they came across the line. It was like, all right, this is really, really good. So I'm excited so, to see how they take that back because they started, few of them had organizations that were so big, they started taking those back to their organizations and using it within their, within their subgroups. Yeah. Um, and two of them found it very, very lightning and enlightening. It, it literally took loads of time off of their shoulders and back onto their calendars to be able to do this. And they, they realized the time impact that they had with this, as well as the, the, result, the, the positive outcomes. But the, the time they got back was amazing. They were very, really, really well, shocked about that. You, you raised a couple of interesting questions in that. Um, the first one, uh, uh, would this have worked in a physical context pre-COVID? Uh, we actually have a neat little example of that. I don't know if Massa Maida is on the call or not, but um, uh, Massa took uh, Leadership as a Service into Protobanco at the end of 2019. So just before the fertilizer hit the whirly gig. Um, <laughs> it's, and and uh, he took it in at a very senior level. He basically had a group of 13 executive vice presidents of the bank who had never agreed on anything in the previous decade and were really mired in a, a, a bureaucratic uh, context that they felt, none of them felt they could escape. And I guess that's sort of key to bureaucracy is that it locks everybody in. Um, so he introduced this stuff and uh, and he was amazed at the result that, that these guys were able to work together, to get decisions made together and to cut through the nonsense. Um, and it, it basically turned what was a, a seven week uh, engagement for him into a, a, a two year contract. Um, then, then the fertilizer hit the whirly gig, and all kinds of things changed. But that's that's what that is. Anyway, um, so the, the, it does work, uh, and actually, we've used this stuff at conferences, face to face conferences, with people mm -hmm. who they've never worked together before. They owe each other nothing, and it still works. So it's not magic. It's just that it's a really neat way to balance the the forces. But the other thing that you raise. Um, would this work with a big room full of people? If we had like a, a, a PI planning meeting with 150 people in it and they had to use leadership as a service together, would it work? And the answer was no, of course not. You, this is only going to work for a little team. We've got to descale that room. Um, and mm. well, of course, most uh, PI planning meetings do have a whole bunch of little meetings, but right. the, the structure that they use then becomes the, the question. And this raises uh, a third pattern. Um, and this is a pattern we call decide the decider. And it's also incredibly simple. And basically the idea is if um, uh, you have a meeting where there's a particular DRI and they've got a team that are gonna help them execute the, the decision about the item that they're working with, that they take that decision back to their team and they get to choose who the DRIs are in their team for execution of the decision. And so this becomes a little bit fractal. Basically, the DRI in one meeting is going to get to decide the DRIs uh, in, in, at the next level down. 
So there's a, there's a beautiful uh, interview Jobs gave to Mossberg. I think the last one he gave him just before he turned up his toes, where Jobs said it's not Mossberg. And uh, where he said that you know, at the top of Apple, we're just like a startup. And that at every level below, it's just like a startup. That they, they, they have to own the responsibility for making the decisions about how to go about doing things. And, yeah. and so there's that, doing it that way gives you uh, a formula for autonomy that's usually lacking even in organizations that have gone full on scrum or safe or kanban there's still that idea that um well we have to get this decision vetted by people above us and the the lovely thing about this uh, idea is that actually with decide the decider well, no the decision the, the the responsibility to carry the decision is then devolved onto the team the next level down and no one is going to overrule them we get into questions about reward and recognition and all of that stuff, but um, anyway. that did happen um, with this group. Uh, two of the groups, two of the DRIs in the in the in the uh, uh, in in the main group had very large organizations. One was IT and one was ops, and they uh, they 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 took that pattern down. In fact, Kumar suggested that, and and it worked very very well. And the IT group actually was kind of they operated a little bit similarly to that it wasn't a foreign thing to them so mm -hmm. they were kind of a working example inside where when the idea was suggested that uh the gentleman in charge of that spoke up and said you know we do kind of this on some other things so i can definitely see this working and it was reassuring to the rest of the dris that okay well let's try and do this and and i think you're right i could have seen this working before it would have been interesting to see how fast they were how fast and how interested they were in jumping in with both feet prior to covid versus when they had just gone through this big disruption and came out okay uh how quickly they were to a new idea in general and and it, how quickly they assimilated that and they really did a nice job given the fact that they all said hey we don't have a history of, of doing this well right so yeah. um it was interesting to see that that carry down and then and then how that carried through for the rest of the projects so. Cool. Yeah, and, and actually, cool. it's it's um, in this client organization, we're having. Um, I, I think the experience with with what Mike just shared is is having an effect on, you know, the people that went through it. They saw the value in it, and there's a group that I'm starting to work with, and they're already talking about, you know, just as a matter of, you know, just it does it makes total sense. Let's use leadership as a service and DRIs to organize how we get this work done, right? Um, uh, because it, it's, it spans many teams across the organization, many people are across the organization, and the standard, the, the, the typical ways of doing, uh, getting this work done and the, the timeframe that they, uh, they're trying to get it done won't work. Mm -hmm. uh, and so using these pa this pattern is is uh, you know what's really gratifying is they're seeing that this pattern works and they're applying it now on their own, right? Which is it's it's really uh, really gratifying. They have that contextual proof that you mentioned, yeah. right? Inside their own culture today, inside their own organization, and the level of trust for for the out for the opportunity for the outcome is definitely there. You can see it in their enthusiasm around it. Yeah. Right. So. One of the interesting things with this stuff is um, uh, while some of the ideas we're talking about uh, might seem radical in some contexts, um, none of them are 
unusual ideas and, and, and individually they're, they're all well proven uh, but you start looking at well there must be some culture that actually worked like this uh, for a long period of time there must be some people who just they got this right they were not a bureaucratic culture what exists uh, out there who's done this apart from apple and apple didn't do all of this I mean, uh, I think they did decide the decider. Uh, I think informally they did the balance of power stuff. Um, but when it came to how things worked there, they were very secretive. So we can't know uh, that that all of this worked exactly like that. There's, a, there's some beautiful videos you can find on YouTube of Steve Jobs uh, when he was uh, running Next Computer. And you can see the way he's running meetings there. And you can see this stuff in action. At the same time, well, yeah, they were all on their best behavior where there was a camera in the room. So, <laughs> um, but where, where, um, where we found some really interesting historical precedents is in First Nations peoples, in particular, uh, a group called the Haudenosaunee, who um, uh, they were a very successful um, First Nations group in, um, in mainly in, in the New York state area and, and parts of Canada. Um, for about 800 years, uh, well, they're still around today, uh, but the, the stuff that they came up with was a, a code they called the Great Law of Peace, or just the Great Peace. Uh, and anyone who heard, who's, who's heard of Hiawatha, it's a poem about Hiawatha, it has nothing to do with the real historical Hiawatha, but Hiawatha was one of the guys who was responsible for putting this thing together back in the 1300s. And fundamental to this code is the idea that when you've got this little council of people making decisions, and there's councils at all levels, so this decide the decider thing is is baked in, but when they're coming up with a, a a decision for the people who are involved in the society, and we're talking about a society of up to like a half a million people for eight centuries, um, instead of saying, well, we're going to get everybody in the room and have like a, a big parliament or a big room meeting, all of the decision-making bodies were small and autonomous, which is to say that a decision made at a higher level couldn't overrule a decision made at a lower level. They could come up with some constraints on what their responsibilities were. But the idea that power would flow from the top uh, didn't apply. And when a decision was made, if one person around the table um, disagreed with the rest, well, the only way that they could get the disagreement uh, to uh, dominate the rest would be if the rest were not unanimous, if the rest of the people at the table uh, were unanimous. Well, and there was more to it than that, but that's really where a lot of these ideas uh, um, have a huge body of, of, uh, of well-proven success. On scales that we've never attempted. Um, am I muted? No, I'm not. Uh, Peter, I was I was curious if you could. Um, you don't, we don't have to talk about all of these points. You wrote an article recently uh, on LinkedIn. Um, uh, top ten reasons you should use leadership service patterns, um, and. I, we, we can just go through these, you know, the top, the 10th the reason, frontline teams are frustrated, disempowered, and temporary. What did you mean by that? Well, I think we've all had the experience of being in teams where, um, uh, in a project-oriented organization rather than product-oriented, uh, teams are hired to, to 
put together to achieve particular outcomes and then off they go. The idea is the team is there to do the work and they're not going to make the decisions. They're not going to call out the priorities. They're, they're not motivated to get end-to-end -end, uh, business throughput to be maximized. They're just basically plumbers. Um, and uh, they're either there to, to install the plumbing or to stop the toilet overflowing or whatever it is. Um, and then they can go. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Uh, if instead uh, we, we're using leadership as a service and we think of teams as carrying responsibility um, that's well-defined for functions of an organization, uh, well, then we start to have more of a product focus, more of a, a business throughput. Uh, focus and we can involve other patterns, patterns from open book management or patterns from the Camelot model to reinforce that. Mm -hmm. um, but the main thing is that uh, this gives everybody an ability to express their agency as human beings in getting the work done. Uh, and it, it, um, it, it takes uh, the political anti pattern out of the room. Yeah. So maybe give give us a, a tangible example of, of an empowered team using leadership as a service pattern to, you know, so that they're not frustrated, disempowered, and so on and so forth. What would that look like? Um, so a, a team that is carrying a responsibility uh, rather than a, a team that is um, responsible for executing somebody else's ideas. Um, mm -hmm. That team, uh, well, a concrete example. So I, I worked with um, uh, an organization called the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. And um, uh, we had a, a project there, uh, a, it was a product called Kaching, which wound up being a ridiculously successful product. Uh, we I like had, the name. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's a good name for a product. It was the first person-to-person uh, -person payments app. Uh, and in Australia, that's basically the way just about all payment happens is people will bump their phones together and um, and money will leap from one person's account to another. All of the stuff that people do in the States with, with checks is just completely bizarre from an Australian perspective. We don't even carry cash anymore. I mean, no one I know carries a wallet around. We just, we just use our phones for everything. Um, so this was the first app for doing that. And it was completely radical at the time. We're talking about a, a, a 2012 through 2014 era. Um, so the teams I was involved with there, they were very differently uh, enabled to um, uh, teams that were working alongside them. Uh, from, from the point of view of the people who were doing the work, they had to be able to share um, the responsibility for execution. But there was a constant stream of decisions, technical decisions, prioritization decisions, and so on, um, that were reviewed by these teams on a, a daily basis, um, uh, using ideas that were not formally leadership as a service, but that was the, the basis for the culture. There. So mm. a, a lot of the time when, you, when you're coming up with um, uh, concrete examples about empowerment, uh, you wind up taking lessons from the way things worked rather than saying, well, they started with this particular pattern and then they executed per se. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I'm in one of my current engagements. Um, 
um, it's it's exactly this: frontline teams frustrated, dis, dis, disempowered, and temporary. I don't know about the temporary bit. I think certain teams are temporary, but certainly I, I can sense the frustration and the disempowerment. And um, you talked early on about you know the the state of agile survey. This these teams are an example of that, right? So agile not working. In fact, there's resistance now. They they like. We don't want all this micromanagement with with a scrum and then the overhead of these ceremonies and and we just want to go back to where we uh, the way we worked before where we uh, deliver something on a quarterly basis and in the intervening time there you know there was really not much visibility into what we're doing and that to me is a symptom of this frustration is the this that's it, you know not that scrum is bad or or agile is bad or anything like that it's just the way it's being implemented with uh, with okay, let's do agile, but we're not going to not even intentionally uh, saying, oh, we're not going to empower you. It's just it's just what happens, right? Managers uh, sort of keep the power of making those decisions, even though they're they're trying to empower their teams in reality and practice is not happening, right? So uh, how how would you? Uh, encourage these managers, these leaders, to use these pad this pattern specifically to shift the conversation uh, to empower these teams. A manager is successful um, based on a set of numbers. There's always numbers that they use to measure the successful manager. So if those numbers uh, are really um, focused on things that the manager uh, can gain, well, then they're going to gain them. Um, if we expect that various kinds of KPIs are going to be the way we judge the success of a manager, we're always going to wind up with those games going on. Um, another way to do it is to look at the end-to-end -end business throughput as the, the number that we're going to use as a basis for awarding, not just the manager, but the team members. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's impossible for a team to go, oh, well, we're going to disempower our manager. We don't like the way they're doing things. Um, uh, they don't have uh, a voice that'll let them do that. So this is something that as coaches, we can do something about it. We can, we can work with HR to say, oh, well, why don't we think about rewarding people based on improvements or contributions to business throughput rather than um, these artificial little KPIs. If we reward them on the basis of KPIs, they're always going to gain those things. If everybody is motivated to try and maximize business throughput, uh, then everybody's going to be working to the same end. And then the manager's win is going to depend on empowering their team to get the best decisions to be made and what's more team will actually stand up and say, well, I don't care that you are going red in the face and wearing a big loud tie and, and you've got more gray hair or less hair altogether than I do. What you're telling me to do is going to be bad for the top line of this organization or of this business stream. And that's going to be bad for my pocketbook. And my kid's not going to get his bicycle this Christmas or we're not going to make our mortgage payment or whatever it is. Um, so I'm willing to stand up and tell you, no, we're not going to do it that way. Even though, yes, you, you seem to be a very powerful and dynamic individual wearing a suit, 
um, I can't accept what you're saying. And the manager at the same time is motivated to go, okay, uh, my reward depends on the same outcomes that this guy's reward or this girl's reward depends on. And they're willing to come up to my face and say what they're saying. I need to actually listen. Um, if, if I'm not influenced by what's going on in the team that I'm managing, if I can't listen to them, then um, then I'm not going to see the outcomes that I want to see to get my reward. So that idea of um, open book management, uh, I, I would go with something like that rather than saying that leadership as a service is a magic. Leadership as a service is a, a set of enabling patterns. But to be able to make the sorts of outcomes that we want work, we, we need the reward model and the structure of the organization around the team. So there's a thing called the Camelot model that we might talk about a little bit which is really about how learning flows between teams. And there's a set of things called the descaling metrics that let us measure the qualities of the structure of an organization. And these are very simple things like, well, obviously, what's the maximum meeting size and the, uh, the, the minimum frequency with which meetings occur? Uh, what's the, the, the latency for learning to flow between one part of the organization, one team and another, how many middlemen does it have to go through? So lateral learning latency, uh, meeting midnight. We can come up with clever names for these things. The 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 doer decider distance. What's the distance between the people who are making decisions and the people who are doing the work to execute the decision? Mm -hmm. Obviously, the longer that is, the slower learning is going to flow. So the stuff we talked about with autonomy before, there are numbers associated with all of these things. And they're typically in a descale organization, really small numbers. Most of the organizations we work with, however, when we walk in the door, they're usually pretty big numbers. So mm -hmm. just by putting those numbers on the table, saying, well, we're going to measure the quality of this organization this way, leads managers and executives to start looking much more critically at the way the organization is structured and, and rewarded. That sounds good. So I have one more question on this topic and I'm going to turn it to Mike. Um, that is, you know, what, what I'm hearing you say is the pattern may not work just by itself, that you might need some structural changes. You might need some changes in reward models and, and, you know, certainly open book uh, management is, is, uh, is, is a way to restructure how, you know, um, uh, provide transparency to the, the entire organization as to... for a moment, because I think yeah. you've raised something that's critical. Yes. <laughs> about patterns. Um, all patterns, all proven solutions to commonplace problems in a particular context, every pattern generates further problems. And when mm -hmm. we talk about a pattern language or a pattern toolkit, it's because we have a set of patterns where uh, we kind of have a closed group we have a set of patterns that solve the problems generated by the other patterns. The Scrum is a good example of that. Um, but uh, the, the way that patterns are applied, if we're going to avoid framework thinking and you know, um, one size fits all straight jackets mm -hmm. uh, for organizations, has to be focused on the existing problems. What problem are we experiencing today? That's where we look for the patterns that solve that problem. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. And the reason I asked this, this question, or at least pose the um, uh, the challenge, is that I've seen success 
we've seen success with just leadership as a service, as a pattern to help start stimulating conversations around this type of change that we're talking about. Yes. And it doesn't require sort of this, hey, we got to change everything in order to get this pattern to work. Yeah. The pattern can work on its own and um, um, be a catalyst for the types of changes. Of course, like you said, it exposes other problems. And then what do you do, right? Uh, and, and that's where things like the Camelot model and you know, descaling metrics and open book management may start to come into to play, or at least the patterns that are that that are uh, called for. It, you know, implementing those um, those words that I just said. <laughs> but 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 leadership as a service is the beauty is in its simplicity, in, in my in my view, that yeah. as a leader, and this is the way I try to explain it to people. As a leader, you're your role is to provide a service to your followers. Uh, and by followers, I mean, they're leaders in their own right, but your role is to really decide the decider in that group for particular types of decisions and empower them by, uh, you know, empower them to make those decisions. And of course you, you can easily disempower them from those decisions by overriding them or overruling them or, or whatever it may be. So it's, it's a simple pattern. It's maybe hard to implement, especially for people that equate leadership with power and, and the power to make all most decisions. But it's, 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 uh, I've seen it, I've seen the light bulbs turn, right? So in a prior engagement with, with a group, um, the, the VP of this, of this team of leaders, after you know four or five months of using these patterns, he, he there was a decision that needed to be made, and he started to make the decision. And and I happened to be in the meeting, and he looked at me, and he says, "Oh yes, 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 um, that's not my decision to make." And and he pointed to the person whose decision it was to make the DRI, and where should we go? You know, what's yeah. what's the decision here? And that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I don't know if our viewers uh, maybe had that impression as well. That's why I wanted to call it out. Well, um, so that's where you can then lead into getting the balance of powers pattern to become prominent because you, you do want the rest of the team to start thinking, you know, we don't, don't just have agency when we are a DRI. We have agency when we are working together as a team. We yeah. want we, together, we want the best decision to be made. So if we think that Jill, the database architect, uh, is right about database most of the time, but when it comes to this particular aspect, there are a whole bunch of implications for user experience. Uh, there are a bunch of, of implications uh, for the middleware uh, or for where we source the data or for mm -hmm. the data science or whatever it is. Um, if they realize that actually we are able to help better decisions get made, the only time that we want to be overruled by Jill is when we run out of time to make this decision, which might be an hour, it might be a day, it might be a week. This is where decide the decider also will decide what is the time frame for the decision. But the other thing that you, you, you very wisely called out is that um, to get an organization to take this on, um, to push 
atoms into an organization would be a really fraught thing to do. It would create a lot of stress uh, that way. So there's another set of patterns um, that we call a pull transformation that make it really easy to get this stuff to happen. And uh, in a nutshell, the idea is simply that we we use um, simple techniques like open space to identify the people in the organization that actually really want to uh, get change to happen. Mm-hmm. And we cherry pick them and we make a little team or a little group or a little stream um, that is going to experiment with working this new way. Once they've got it working, then we'll split them in two and we'll hold a little uh, open space or similar event to socialize what's what's happened and the benefits we've got. And we'll see who's interested in joining each half. We basically double the number of people who are working this way and the people who join are learning by immersion rather than instruction. They're learning from people they know and trust rather than coaches. Um, and doubling uh, this way, well, we, we've used this for some quite large organizations. Uh, Commonwealth Bank was probably the most successful one uh, applying this approach to 50,000 people. Um, getting change to happen this way is far easier, far less fraught, uh, far cheaper uh, and far more effective because people are learning from each other rather than uh, having someone tell you you're going to behave in this yeah. weird way and observe this constitution and, and all of these rules. Mike, you got to talk talk to uh, uh, the group and, and certainly to Peter about our experience um, with with our client and, and what you're doing is, that is so similar to this approach. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I even go back to uh, 2015 and I, I was uh, introduced to someone we were uh, we were working with a company who was owned by a venture capital organization and they had their own people that they supplied for when they acquired somebody they would come in and have this team of people come in and help them you know improve processes and things like that and we had had a contact at that company and said well we'd like to hear what your proposals are in this and I wish I would have known about some of this stuff because we were we eventually got to where you're going, but it it took a lot longer to get there because we didn't have we didn't have the nice the the way to describe it that you've got in the DRI model and leadership as a service. We had to use more divergent convergent thinking with with smaller groups of interested parties that that span across the organizational chart up and down, not, not just across this way, right? Um, and, uh, it took us a, a good bit longer, but the one thing I was, I was always surprised by, and we, I still work with members of that company that are in other places now. And they said that, that, you know, what we heard from you wasn't what we thought we wanted, what, what we thought we were going to hear from you, but we thought it was what we needed more so than someone to come in and tell us how to improve our, our efficiency. It was more about capabilities and, and building a capability to be able to learn and do other things. And I remember we were using FISTA five as an example, as a, as a, as a, as a method, right. For this group that was there, there were 11 people in the group and they were talking about one, one subject that we were speaking on. And this was several weeks into the engagement. And 10 people decided, uh, kind of went with one thing and one person went like this. And that one person was probably the lowest person on that orb chart. And she didn't get three three sentences into what she was going to say, and the whole rest of the group were those, oh, and they all switched their votes. And that was their aha moment. And they all said, 
we would have totally gone in this other direction if it wasn't for the fact that we had this one person. And this is not a very knowledgeable person, but not not a very up, outspoken person. Yeah. And just giving that idea to us, we totally went in another direction. And we're like, okay, we're in. <laughs> and then it was like, and that was it. They got it. They 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 was, but that was multiple weeks in. And when uh, Kumar and I had a chance at the current client we're in, and, and he introduced DRIs right away, and it was like we got that result a whole lot faster because mm-hmm. we were able to explain it in a way that made a lot more sense, and they could apply faster without as many iterations or repetitions that we went through of examples. And we were all co-located, so we were on site. It's but it still took longer that way. And it, it, they did get what they were looking for. They got the capability and they started doing what you mentioned. We we would get other interested parties and break that out into the groups. They would go out and, and formulate and bring people in. But um, yeah, this is it was enlightening to me to see how quickly someone could get the aha around the benefit and how mm-hmm. much how much faster it was that they were willing to in some cases, give up a little bit of position power for better mm-hmm. outcomes. Um, yeah. And in some cases, feel more comfortable in speaking up in a group where they're not with their peers. They're they're with people that normally would be telling them what to do. Yeah. Um, and now they're telling, they're giving the group the information of what they thought they should do and, and having an impact. And I was really amazed time, how effectively that worked. A, a lot of the time, the trick is um, you've got groups that are learning things that are valuable to each other and one person who's sort of uh, floating above those groups might be an effective conduit for transmitting that learning so we might go well since that's the manager uh we really have to give them the power because they know better they're the only person who has oversight over this group of groups and if we if we don't give them a, a bit of privilege but they might not be called an architect or, or, or an analyst or something else or a coach um but if we don't give them that much power then we're going to wind up with misalignment between the different uh, parties but there is a really pattern in camelot that we've had a lot of success with this is an old pattern i mean this is a uh, this has been used in in lean since the 1960s and it's called quality circles Mm-hmm. The idea is that people with similar roles in different groups, uh, let's say the analysts or the database architects or the, the, the user experience uh, experts, or, they get together uh, on a regular basis before the decision-making meetings for the respective groups. So that not only are they a DRI in the sense of, well, they are, they're going to carry a responsibility for execution, but they're also responsible in the sense that they are informed by the the other responsibles who carry similar uh, responsibility in different groups. So that, that way, they're able to bring context to decision making that the team by itself just doesn't have. Uh, this idea of quality circles is a really good thing to do before um, retros. If you're doing a, a, a tight agile cadence, if you run all the quality circles before the retros, then every team uh, is able to uh, adapt its decisions for the benefit not only of its members, but of the, the team of teams or the, the group or the stream of teams. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think we need to do another um, uh, live stream on Camelot <laughs> and, and just really dive 
deep dive into what the Camelot model is and, and how quality circles play such a critical role in that. Um, we, we only have, uh, we, we have our, our viewership is going down. So I wanted to give an opportunity for people to sort of type in their questions or comments in, uh, in, in YouTube or Facebook, wherever you are, and uh, we will see them here. So please do type your questions in. And um, as we wait for those to come in, uh, I wanted to just pick another one of these uh, top 10 reasons and, and probe, probe a little bit. <clears throat> um, I mean, we've covered a lot of these in, in our conversation. Um, um, I, I don't know that we, we, we covered this uh, in, in enough detail. So the, the number eight reason is the business left hand doesn't know what its right hand is doing. Can you uh, sort of um, uh, talk about what you mean by that? So the more levels of hierarchy we have, the uh, typically, the, um, the easier it is for people to reproduce each other's efforts, to reinvent mm -hmm. the wheel, and to become misaligned. Um, some of the patterns, structural patterns in Camelot are specifically about how we, we go about dealing with them. I, I should also mention uh, people who are going to the XP 2021 conference in June and people who are going to the Paris Business Agility Conference in June. Uh, we're running uh, a couple of events uh, called the Game Without Thrones, uh, where you can actually see all of this stuff, not only see it in action, you can actually go and experience it in a workshop format. And those are free events if anyone, well, at least the workshops are free. And we'll be running, in Excel Alliance, we'll be running Game Without Thrones. This is all online uh, using Wheelo and Miro. We'll be running that on a, a regular basis going forward after June. But that's sort of the, the kickoff for this. Um, but anyway, um, the left-hand, right-hand problem uh, really comes down to how do we get learning to flow laterally? And uh, how do we um, use hierarchy to limit the number of conversations we have to have to get a decision made mm. without um, dominating using command and control? We really have to have, there's a principle in military hierarchies called mission command. It's very distinct from command and control. It was invented by a, a Prussian field marshal uh, named von Moltke back in the 19th century. But um, uh, mission command basically is about, well, we, we think of people in the military being given a mission, they get to go and execute it. That's not the way it used to work. It used to be that people would line up opposite each other on a battlefield like chess pieces and, and shoot at each other. Von Moltke thought that was stupid. Most military minds didn't get the memo until this, the German uh, Blitzkrieg stuff happened in the Second World War and suddenly they had to change the way they were organizing. Most business organizations and business hierarchies that still use command and control are still uh, easily overrun by the competition that are using mission command. Uh, and a lot of the patterns we've been talking about support that paradigm. So there's a question from the audience. I'm just going to read it out. Uh, as a um, CIO consultant, I find it hard to engage both agile IT developers and the business owners to engage both sides, uh, both sides to build and own a minimum viable product, uh, mm -hmm. taking into account the, the steps to create it and the cost of delay. So um, there's a lot to unpack there. And if we were to talk about breadth first product agility, 
there are alternatives to uh, the way that question's framed. But let's deal with the question uh, uh, full on uh, in this context. So we've got a bunch of uh, technical stakeholders, uh, uh, the agile IT devs. We've got a bunch of business stakeholders and they each have different concerns they're carrying. And because they're carrying different concerns in different contexts, uh, it becomes a power struggle. Um, so there was a principle in the original extreme programming uh, that technical people make technical decisions and business people make business decisions. And the idea with XP was we want these people to be in the same team. There was no product owner to, to keep them apart. And it's actually baked into the manifesto that the business and technology meet on a daily basis, not once every three months. So uh, the idea that we would have proxies uh, that, that keep these people apart and the idea that, that uh, we would meet infrequently, that was never the intent of Agile. That's something Scrum introduced that uh, the rest of us fought violently back in the day. We lost those wars back then, but that's not to say that we still want to keep these people apart. So how do we deal with this? Well, the simplest way to deal with this is, okay, we're going to think in business terms about how we're going to break up the product into epics. Uh, an epic, why do we want to build something? Whose behavior does it have to change? How does it have to change their behavior? And then what do we have to build to do that? We can get, make that stuff explicit and use some BDD about the acceptance criteria. Then the conversation isn't about, well, why aren't you people doing what we want? It's about, well, let's get into agreement about the acceptance criteria that we have to satisfy, to get this outcome. And once we've got that agreement to happen, well, then we're going to go and execute together. And whether some of us are doing marketing and some of us are doing business communications and others are doing building this, and others doing some of the, the, the collateral we need to be able to get that to glue together, that's all fine. But we have a common outcome that we've agreed on. If we have to revisit it, because we've learned something. Maybe it's going to blow estimates out of the water. Maybe it's going to blow priorities out of the water. The moment we've learned something, we're going to come back together. And we're going to use leadership as a service in our team. Our team involves both business and technology people, whether it's a small scope team or it's a broad scope team, whether it's an epic level or a feature level or a story level, doesn't matter. What we're going to do is apply this stuff consistently and we're going to work in a way that's going to make that we get the best decisions made uh, we, we we're not going to respect office in doing that because the outcomes are what matters to us now if people are ordered using kpis or okrs that are distinct then that might not work very well mm. so this comes back to open yeah yeah chris uh, hopefully that answered uh, your question at least uh, uh, in part if you if you have further questions don't don't hesitate to reach out and uh, uh, we'll try to get into more of the details behind the question um, <clears throat> so for for folks that are that are watching and folks that will be watching he said yes he said great answer awesome <laughs> uh, so for folks who are watching live and for folks who will be watching this uh, once uh, you know it is on YouTube and Facebook um, what would uh, you say um, uh, to folks that want to implement leadership as a service, sort of stepwise? Is there a recipe for, you know, hey, this sounds interesting. What do I do? Um, so that's a really good question. 
Um, I would suggest that you start as simply as possible with this idea of uh, directly responsible individuals, just identifying them on a regular basis and saying, okay, well, if you're not a DRI, then why are you in this meeting? What's your, what's your purpose here? And if the answer is, well, I am here to be informed so that I can make certain that some other people are informed because they have a stake in the decisions that are being made, then we have to fix the people in the room problem. We need those people in the room. And the, the fact that there's a proxy in between, we can start to question some of the structural issues. And we've talked about some patterns for dealing with that. Uh, if you want to see a systematic way of doing that, then that's where the, the Game Without Thrones and the Camelot model are, are, are relevant. But in terms of leadership as a service, if we start with DRIs, then the next thing we can worry about is, okay, who's going to decide the DRIs? How does decide to decide to play in what we do? And that's pretty easy to do as well, because usually there is someone who's used to having the power and they don't mind being the decider of deciders. Um, and if you can get them to the point where they're willing to say, well, I'm actually willing to try this balance of power, this thing. I'm not going to go with it all the time, but I, I, I think it's a neat way to, um, to get the people in the room to provide each other with leadership. So I don't have to constantly be doing that. Um, and, and I can actually get the benefit of their leadership. They're providing a service to me. Uh, oh, well, I can, I can see that much. Even as long as I, I can sort of keep the, the, my prerogative, I can, I can overrule them if I have to for various mm. reasons. Uh, most, most of the time, that's relatively easy to do. Um, but the other way to look at it is, well, let's not go and do things for the sake of doing them. Let's understand what problems we're trying to solve and work backwards mm. from those to a uh, solution. And usually that's the best way to do it. And then the, the question is, well, okay, we've got lots of problems. Everything's a problem. How do we prioritize this? Uh, and that's where we have to get into um, how do we identify um, a, uh, a landscape of the, sort of the change epics that we need to have happen. How do we prioritize that stuff? Um, uh, and that's where we have to think in terms of theory of constraints. What is the, the dominant key constraint on the flow of learning through this organization? Um, and that's going to move around. So if we, but if we, if we can understand where it is right now, even if it's just a matter of we're not formal about it, we're just going to go with the opinions of the change participants or the change sponsor. That's fine as a starting point. Later on, we can be more formal about it. But that key constraint, if we go, well, that's the priority. If we can fix that, then the key constraint will be something else. Mm -hmm. Then we can focus on that. And maybe leadership as a service is going to be relevant to solving that key learning constraint, or maybe it'll be something else. That's why we, we the, the dominant, the, the one pattern I always apply, no matter what, is the old XP idea of the agony. You aren't going to need it. You need it right now. But don't worry about it right now. Whether we're talking about delivery constraints or business constraints or change in learning constraints, that's always the pattern. And if we apply that consistently, well, then we're not wasting our time. That's great. That's great. Mike? Yeah, I had one more thing, and uh, sorry for the echo. I don't know where you're getting a little echo there for a little bit. The um, uh, you, you talked about it, it's it's interesting how Agile does a very nice job of it's never the the magic elixir, right? That that a lot of people think, 
but it does do a good job of exposing where we are today. It shows us what's really, it forces us to look at what's going on. And when you talked about that with the DRI structure, if you're seeing those proxies show up and you're realizing, oh, this, you're the wrong person. We need these people that you're representing to be here, right? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, I don't know if you've seen this, but I know Kumar and I have seen it a lot. A lot of times that's happening because of there's so much whip in the pipe. There's so much work going on that they've mm -hmm. overextended themselves and they're sending proxies out to, to, to keep all the balls in the air, right? To keep everything going. Yeah. How do you, how have you approached that in the past where, okay, you've identified that the wrong person's in the room and now you've got to have the crucial conversation Mm -hmm. um, uh, like from XP, the CCFR, have, have the courage to communicate and give feedback with respect, right? To those yeah. folks that should be there when they're going to say, I've got too much to do. And yeah. your response in somehow has to be, well, maybe we're not doing the right things or we have things that we shouldn't be doing at that point. How have you approached that? And how have you helped teams to have those conversations with folks? Because that's going to be very difficult conversations. Oh, absolutely. And, and you yeah. see this particularly on the business side all the time. You know, the person who really is going to make this decision is Joe Bob, the, the, the um, VP of sales. And he's got a thousand people to worry about. We're just a, a little delivery team of you know, eight people. Joe Bob's not going to come and visit us. But he's, he owns that decision. And the answer is, well, okay, where's our coach? Uh, let's talk to Jill, the coach. She's no longer a DBA. Um, so uh, Jill, the coach, you need to go and talk to Joe Bob and explain to him that these decisions have to be made now. He has to pick someone that he's going to make a DRI for these particular decisions. And it's actually going to help him because he's going to, he's going to have someone he can make a scapegoat if he needs to. But more to the point, um, he's going to have someone who's going to get the decisions made and where he, where he's actually established a trust relationship with. Now, the trouble is that Joe Bob might not be someone who trusts anyone. As far as he's concerned, everyone's trying to stab him in the back. That's where actually the problem isn't structural. The problem is uh, the reward model of the organization. And we need to be thinking in terms of open book. At least if it's a service, isn't going to solve that problem. Most of the time, where I would go with the answer to your question is uh, descaling. And uh, if you have a look on the xscalealliance.org site, there's a thing called the descaling manifesto. Um, but uh, we talked about descaling metrics before, but really what we're looking for is a, a way to decompose responsibility across the organization so that every decision belongs to a little team. Um, and Camelot, Kamal, uh, do you have the, the, the diagram of uh, the Wheeler setup that we're using for... Uh, um, I can I can share the screen, the, the image that you shared. No, it doesn't show the camera. Let people, me find the image. I'll find the and, image. And people are thinking of, of, of castles, and actually uh, that that image is, 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 is it's like a picture. Uh, we we'll we'll try to leave the swords out, right? Leave, leave the swords at the door? <laughs> well, we, it's, we call it the game without thrones. Um, <laughs> so so we, we, we don't want to worry about the thrones. Um, so anyway, um, the the beautiful thing about this um, uh, the patterns involved there, and there's one pattern we didn't talk about, which has to do with um, rotating round councils, where the notion is those quality circles. If we were to think that every quality circle is going to um, contribute to the level above, they're going to give a representative to the level above. 
um, then the decisions that are made at the level above are, are, are going to basically people, members of teams at the level below, but they're not representing teams, they're representing quality circles. That, um, that, that's the heart of, of Camelot because it gives us an ability to then say, oh, well, it's actually really easy to decompose these responsibilities when the same people doing the decomposition are also the people who are involved in the teams at the next level down. And obviously there's a, a limit on how many levels a particular person can be involved with, but it doesn't need to be more than one uh, level above to be able to make this work. Do you have the diagram, Kamar? Or I, I gave up trying to look for it. It's somewhere on my machine. It's just <laughs> got so many things open. I'm I'm afraid that I'm going to lose the <laughs> the live stream if I go try to find it. Okay, maybe you've ever seen Kumar's screen. It's it's got a lot of tabs. <laughs> He's, he usually has a lot of tabs going. <laughs> in your in your deck, you don't have the deck up. I don't have the deck up, no, I, oh, and I'm afraid to, I literally have like 20 uh, uh, windows open in Chrome. <laughs> Chrome is a memory hog and, and all that stuff, so. No worries at all. Um, <laughs> so actually, can I share a screen? Because I you should be able to, there should be a share button in the bottom mm -hmm. of okay. the um, um, live stream showing. I'm not I'm sure. Opening PowerPoint, hopefully that won't crash my machine. So there we go. Okay, here we go. If I go share uh, screen. Uh, While you're doing that, Pete, it, it really sounds like this is a true bottom-up structure, right? You're really getting that bottom-up feed, that bottom-up pull from where well, the work's happening. I, I wouldn't say it's bottom-up. I think it's more a matter of we want communication to happen across the levels. There, right, can you okay. See yeah, let me add it to the stream. There we go. Oh, is this what you want me to show? I, I, I do have this picture. I didn't know what you were you were referring to, but yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, so so basically the idea here is we have, uh, there are nine teams, there are around the outside. Each team is uh, six people here. And then, uh, so this, these nine teams are divided into three streams um, and each stream has a particular epic. In, in the Game Without Thrones, it's all about, um, building a, a castle to defend yourself against dragons and white walkers and invading armies. And so each stream, one, there's one stream for the armies, one stream for the dragons, one stream for the white walkers. Um, and then they have these little quality circles that are typically just um, uh, groups of three. That seems to be the best number for that. And the quality circles uh, uh, share information across the teams. And then inside this, we've got these little councils that are um, the same people as who are on the teams. And we take turns being in uh, councils that are focused on prioritization or simplification or coordination that basically cross-cutting concerns of the teams. And then we do this at the next level up. So not to go into any more detail than that, that, that structure um, is neat because it gives us a, a, a kind of a, a fractal way. I'll, I'll, um, uh, I'll, I think I've stopped doing this share. I don't know if I have or not. Anyway, you're um, still sharing, but it, I, I just removed it since it was that fractal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're good. We're good. We had the infinite mirror going there for a minute. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Um, so anyway, um, that that that's a neat structure because we don't need to be doing that for the entire organization. It's simply a way for us to get uh, three teams to coordinate in a stream. That's enough. That's all you need. Or if you've got let's say three streams of three teams. And the reason for this number three is that's the, the factor in the, the Dunbar descaling series. And anyone who's heard of the Dunbar number 
Dunbar is actually a series of numbers and it's all about powers of three. And the, I interviewed Robin Dunbar, he's a professor of evolutionary psychology at Oxford. I interviewed him last year, and you can find that interview on YouTube where we explain it properly. Most of the stuff you see in Agile frameworks about Dunbar number is complete rubbish. But um, it's really about how do we uh, chop things up in such a way that we can decompose responsibility in the way we've been discussing with leadership as a service. That's great. So, um, um, and I will say just from personal experience, running a couple of uh, Game Without Throne sessions. Now, Game Without Throne is that is the picture that Pete showed. Um, uh, it's it's a simulation that the three teams in three streams, and it could just be three teams in one stream. It's a simulation of how teams can um, share information, knowledge, learning in these not only in the quality circles but also the represent representation that they provide to the prioritization council and the uh, coordination council and so on the representation that they provide to do those various things and it's not run by it's not run by a manager or a leader it's run by the people in rotation to provide those uh, that that leadership as a service right to to, to yeah. provide the prioritization it's a beautiful yeah, thing and, and the game is a the game is a proof of concept. It is pure autonomy and alignment, zero command and control for sixty yeah. people, and that actually works. So when it comes to well, do we can we do it for five thousand people? You don't have to. This is purely around how can we keep uh, alignment between autonomous teams at whatever level we need to to actually get the outcomes. Yeah, uh, it's, so it's a great. It, to, it really is a great uh, example of how. Um, to descale an organization and empower people to make decisions, you know, using leadership as a service patterns. Yeah. Um, so with that, I, we're we're um, we're at what uh, an uh, an hour and seventeen minutes, and I thought I would uh, I would uh, just share the the final few slides here, and and of course this is what Peter was asking me to show, <laughs> and I didn't know this is what he was asking me to show, and <clears throat> besides. Um, the um, Camelot <clears throat> uh, model that you talked about, Pete. Do you want to talk about some of the other things around the um, around this the Square Business Agility okay. Conference, Agile XP? Uh, yeah. So, <clears throat> so the Business Agility Conference in Paris in June. Uh, this has become an online conference, and so we're running. Uh, firstly, I'm talking there about this stuff. Um, business Agility conferences are very tightly focused format so I get like 20 minutes to talk so um, uh, we're going to basically run an event a three-hour event for them one week later uh, XP 2021 we've got a three-hour uh, game without thrones there the descaling metrics we've talked about in previous in other parts of the session we talked about leadership as service patterns the Camelot model is um, uh, basically there are three patterns there we've talked about two of them uh, the quality circles and the rotating councils. The third pattern is a thing we call BDD treaties, which is really around how do we get working agreements uh, that people can sign up to and can trade and can then roll back. And how do we, we make certain that the way we're working stays aligned? So you see all of those things turn up in this Game Without Thrones event. And what we're looking at is not just a pretty picture. This is a, um, a conference tool, not a conferencing tool, it's not a video conferencing tool. It's like virtual real estate. There's a thing called Wheelo Space. And um, Wheelo integrates really neatly with Miro, which is a virtual um, 
whiteboard slash sandbox. So the way this works then is that uh, we attach each of these little rooms, each of these little seating positions in the wheel chart attaches to a different region of a Miro board. And that's where we're building castles and that's where we have Kanbans and so on. And Wheelo integrates really neatly with that. So basically, think of Wheelo as like Zoom on steroids in the same way that Miro is PowerPoint on steroids and you get the, the right picture. So, but from our point of view, this is beautiful because uh, this is like virtual office space. You can actually see all the people who are sitting around having the conversation. We're used to having these square panes and you can sort of see us, you know, one or something to the another. And we could do a Brady Bunch thing and I could sort of, if I'm careful about it, I could point at Mike, but I can't sort of have a difficult time pointing at Mike. Um, <laughs> you actually see everybody's video feed projected into a little circle that's in a little chair and you can actually look at each other and you can see who's paying attention to who. Um, it's a really simple way for us to do events like this. So, so, so this is not just a pretty picture. It's actually you're looking at the the playboard that the, the, what we're using in the game without threads online. Yeah, that's awesome. And I can see where this could be so useful for for teams that are that are working on something together. Okay. Right. So, being able to quickly see where their team their teammates are and and be able to go quickly talk to them and. And and um, you know see their faces and and chat with them if they're if they're not on the board and so on and so forth. It makes it very very easy to to do. To do and the other thing is that it, it maintains agency. So you actually you move yourself. No one's going to move you to a different room. Um, and and then you if you want to enter a room, you knock on the door and you can hear the knock and all that sort of stuff. So the the user experience is really sweet. But from our point of view, it's um, we used to run this with Lego in big conferences we can't do that anymore and this solves that problem yeah all right awesome and then um i wanted to just uh uh make you all aware whoever's watching still watching four of you are still hanging in there thank you um and and for for those of you that hopefully will watch this um when it's uh, uh not live uh we have this leading with agility course uh it incorporates elements of what we just talked about leadership as a service and things like that uh, it is now also an on-demand course, so it's it's uh, it's it's a combination, sort of a flipped classroom uh, set, setting where uh, where you watch some lectures, do some assignments, and then you meet with us uh, live uh, to discuss what you learned and, and how you more importantly how you will apply it to the workplace. And so this is available on uh, AgileMeridian.com. Go go take a look at it. Um, and uh, that brings us to the end of our oh, live stream. Did you? One more plug. Yeah. Um, yeah. So xscalealliance.org uh, is offering uh, business agility and product agility. Yes. Um, that are kicking off. Uh, well, I've been running them for years, but uh, we have, amongst other people, uh, Kamar uh, will be offering these in August. Um, and we also have a bunch of self-serve courses. So if you go to xcalearns.org, you can find details on all of that stuff. Right. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to facilitating that, that uh, XBA, Xscale Business Agility course um, coming up in August. So, And XPA, Xscale Product Agility, which is, uh, I talked about breadth first product agility, which is very different to anything you've seen from like a safe context or uh, a lean UX context. So yeah, that, all that stuff's happening in August. All right. Awesome. Any uh, parting thoughts, Mike, Pete, before we uh, before we sign off? 
I'm just thankful to have Pete here and, and uh, to be able to talk to us. And uh, this has been excellent. Uh, I, I hope that the viewers enjoyed it as much as, as I know I did. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to utilize DRIs and leadership as a service and, and uh, find more opportunities to help others learn about this as well. My pleasure, Chris. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really good fun. That's great. Thank you. Thanks, thanks to those of you that stuck it out to the end, the four of you. Chris, Chris is still with us. Yay for us four. <laughs> Thank you for sticking it out and, and hope you enjoyed this. Um, Everybody offline, you can stop fast forwarding now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.